Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Zeta, with episode 289 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW. NXT coming out of Stand and Deliver, its first event outside of Orlando, Florida since 2019. AEW putting on what was pretty clearly an effort uh, to have one of the best in-ring wrestling television shows of the last couple of years in a minimum, maybe even all time. A lot of really strong matches on Dynamite this past Wednesday, but the Silver King is here to break it all down. It would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast without me reminding you straight off the top that this show, as always, is so please be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave that five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why you listen, why you subscribe, and please convince them to do the exact same. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That's where you can first find out about new episode drops. You can participate in polls, conversations with us uh, throughout the podcast. We usually live tweet during every major uh, professional wrestling show in North America, except this week I happen to be on site in Augusta, Georgia for the Masters. Therefore, it has been basically impossible for me to do that this week, but we will be back to our regular schedule, uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week. So with all of that out of the way, let's just get into the show. Uh, I thought it was a very strange but entertaining episode of NXT this week with some damn good wrestling on the show. And the booking, though, you know, kind of coming out of it, I was just dumbfounded at some of the things that happened on that show. However, some reports that have come out, I'm not going to share them on this podcast. We tried not to get too much into spoilers here. Um, some reports coming out of that show make it pretty clear why some of the results went the way they did on NXT this past Tuesday. That doesn't mean that should have happened. Uh, you know, if certain things are going to occur where maybe people are no longer going to be on the brand or they're going to be moved or they're going to enter a different storyline or whatever the case might be, you should know all of those things ahead of your special event, your premium live event, stand and deliver. That way you can allow the results of those matches to dictate, you know, um, what those people will be doing in the future rather than have to wait and to, and to make some potential adjustments on Monday and Tuesday of the following week. That's just not good business. Uh, as far as AEW, a quick overview before we get into it, I thought it was the best episode of AEW Dynamite since Revolution at a minimum. And from an in-ring only standpoint, you could make an argument it was the best of the entire year. So very strong episode of Dynamite. And Rampage this week, I got to say, it was my most enjoyable episode of Rampage in a while, but that doesn't say too much because I really don't enjoy Rampage. Uh, but the main event, Keith Lee uh, versus Powerhouse Hobbs, you guys know that is big meaty men slapping meat. I was all about it. Uh, so let's get into the show. We're going to break down NXT first, AEW second this week, just because we are coming out of Stand and Deliver in the following weeks. AEW is going to be having some pretty big matches next week, a number of title matches, also Battle of the Belts, I believe, on April 16th. So we will start with AEW in some future weeks here. But this week it is NXT for anyone who listens to this podcast and only wants to hear one portion or the other. Be sure to visit our episode description. We will have timestamps. That way you can jump to what you want to listen to. But I really hope that if you are an NXT watcher or an AEW only watcher, 
I hope you listen to the other half of the show because it is important to know what is happening with the other companies. And we try to wrap it up as quickly as we possibly can on this podcast. As I said, we're starting with NXT. The very first thing is I wanted to provide a correction on the new championship belts. Uh, the NXT Women's Championship that debuted at Stand and Deliver, it actually changed more than I initially thought. Not only did it get a white strap instead of black, the font was updated with the new logo. It was a little bit smaller, the women's title, and the 2.0 colors were in the background of the main plate. It's very similar in that way to the Raw and SmackDown women's titles where the colors of the brand are able to stand out. My hope was for the men's title, they'd update the font, maybe the strap, and that was it. It would be more plain for an aesthetic. But Braun Breaker opened NXT with an updated belt that had those colors as well. Not bad. Not a doomsday scenario. It just kind of felt unnecessary. And it doesn't work as well for the men's title as it does for the women's. But I will say, it, if you told it to me, like if you said, hey, Adam, guess what? They're going to add the NXT 2.0 colors to the men's title. I would say, oh my God, it's going to be a disaster. It actually looks really nice. So they did a very good job in terms of execution of that. Uh, so speaking of the champions... Let's open up our breakdown of the show with the champions. Braun Breaker opened NXT with the crowd doing a dueling chant of We Want Ziggler and No We Don't. Braun powered through, but the fans remained really damn annoying. Breaker talked about deciding not to leave Dallas without the title and beating Dolph Ziggler on Raw. Imperium interrupted. Gunther said, The NXT title proves you're the best, and he wants a shot. Braun accepted immediately for the main event of the show. And again, these are my thoughts as I'm watching it live. It made zero sense for NXT to run this straight away when Gunther is the one person on that roster where if you wanted to take the title off Breaker, he would not be hurt by losing it to Gunther. Like, that's the guy, right? He's the longest reigning NXT UK champion of all time. So we got the main event. It was for the title, Breaker, Gunther. Uh, there were not my champion, and yes, he is dueling chance early. I just did not understand what this crowd thought it was accomplishing on Tuesday. Braun hit a spear and tried to press Gunther only for his shoulder to give out. Gunther chopped the shit out of him. Braun hit a German suplex and overhead belly to belly. Gunther came back with a Claymore and Powerbomb, but Breaker kicked at 2.9, even though that's one of his finishers. Then Gunther landed a splash, and Braun kicked out at 2.99, again, one of his legitimate finishers. The crowd chanted, this is awesome. Braun again did a 2.9 kick out after a lariat. Braun countered another splash attempt with the spear, but Gunther chopped his ass. Braun finally hit his press power slam for the 1-2-3 to retain the title in 12 minutes. I was flabbergasted by it. Like, I just have to tell you, first of all, you know, we do have to point out, to be fair to everyone involved, it was a legitimately great match. I mean, in every way. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> so I went 4.25 stars A and five slabs of beef for this match. I mean, it was it's all you could ask for. It was a premium match on free television. We should not ignore that. It's something that could have main evented a TV special at the very least. But unless Gunther is being called up to the main roster immediately, and that is probably the legitimately the only acceptable explanation, unless he's asked for his release or some shit, having Braun take out the longest reigning NXT UK champion and the guy who probably should have beat Breaker for the NXT title was just absolutely shocking. It's one thing to do it after a long storyline building towards a match at a premium event. It's quite another to randomly throw it on an NXT immediately succeeding a premium event and treat Gunther like he's just another upper mid-carder. This guy's a bona fide, unquestioned, main event caliber wrestler. So because of all of that, it was an astonishing decision and one that I 
don't think I'll be able to understand unless one of those things I just mentioned happens. And obviously, I, <laughs> if it is one of those two, I hope it's a call-up and not the latter situation. But there was more having to do with Braun Breaker on the show. Because earlier in the show, Joe Gacy said having someone you can completely trust is important and not having family would lead someone to self-destruction. Draco Anthony watched it. He got really angry. When Zion Quinn gave him advice, Quinn said he needs to learn a lesson in respect. And that was really all that happened there. And I, I did appreciate NXT getting these guys involved in a storyline, but it feels like it went on for two months now with no resolution, given what happened immediately after on TV. Gacy also later talked about controlling chaos so it doesn't control you. So after the bell of the NXT title main event, Rick Steiner appeared on screen and congratulated Braun on the victory, called him son. Then it was revealed that Rick was tied up with rope inside a cage as Gacy said family was everything and Harland rattled the cage with a wrench. They said they were going to teach an old dog some new tricks. This just completely came out of nowhere. Gacy stepping up and being an easy target for Braun as the next contender is perfectly fine. In fact, it's along the lines of what I would expect coming out of a special event instead of just feeding Gunther to him. In fact, it makes the booking of the Braun-Gunther match even more surprising and concerning, again, with the caveat, unless one of those other things is happening and they wanted to maybe put Braun over Gunther before he left NXT for good. And because of all that, it legitimately felt, while I was watching the show, as if the person who booked NXT for the last month and at Stand and Deliver, you know, Shawn Michaels, was either possessed uh, by someone else's creative mind or just a completely different person on Tuesday there was an immediate title change, randomly beating Gunther in a title match, three championship match matches uh, scheduled for next week. More on that coming in a minute. It was just impossible for me to compute everything that I was watching as I was you know, going through the show. So we also had Imperium versus Creed Brothers on the program. This started during a commercial break. Great action both ways, with Imperium taking out Brutus Creed's knee. Julius Creed did an incredible double underhook delayed flat press for a near fall. Fabian Eichner caught Julius midair. And deadlifted him into a rolling slam in an incredible spot. Marcel Bartel got busted open. And then Eichner randomly left the ring and walked to the back. The Creeds immediately took advantage with an inverted fireman's carry slam and basement clothesline for the win. There was no harm really in the Creeds beating Imperium. But Eichner just walking away was incredibly strange and unexplained. And then Gunther later told Bartel that there would need to be no more distractions. After the bell, the mysterious vandals attacked the Creeds with steel chairs and removed their masks. It was pretty deadly from NXT UK, the tag team. For those who don't know, they are a fantastic team and a great addition to what's already a pretty loaded NXT tag team scene. Now, while the tag team name remained, each of them had new individual names, and both were actually upgrades over their old names, which is very rare in NXT these days. The problem, for me at least, is NXT already has the Grizzled Young Veterans, and they haven't done shit since moving to the United States. So I have no idea why they needed to bring another heel team from the UK over when they already have one that they're not utilizing well. And I also didn't really understand the impetus for a potential Imperium breakup, especially now that Gunther has lost a key match. But again, if some things happen in the near future, it might help to explain it. MSK backstage celebrated regaining the titles, saying they appreciated them more now and welcomed all challengers. Grayson Waller interrupted with Sangha, saying they wanted the titles, but Waller isn't clear to compete yet. This was fine. Waller and Sangha teaming seems like a strange decision. And they're also getting the title match next week. It was scheduled without deserving it. And it's going to be interesting to see 
what happens now? And you may say, well, Adam, why are you so interested to see what happens now? Well, I'll tell you, because between NXT and AEW Dynamite, so at some point on Wednesday, WWE released one half of MSK, Nash Carter. Um, there's myriad reasons why it may have happened. There's been reports in multiple directions, but he is having some uh, personal uh, marital problems with his uh, spouse, soon-to-be ex-spouse. I believe the, the story is that he recently filed for divorce. She's accusing him of abuse. People are backing up saying she is mentally and psychologically abusing him. Uh, she also posted a photo of Nash Carter that seems to be from nearly a decade ago, about nine years ago when he was 18 or 19 years old, um, with a Charlie Chaplin mustache, is how I would prefer to refer to it, and doing a certain salute that would go with the other person who was known for that particular mustache. Uh, it seems to be like something he was doing kind of as a joke to send to a friend, like while he was shaving or something like that. Not that he actually wanted to look that way or held those beliefs or anything like that. But nevertheless, WWE, sensitive given the controversy around the Gunther situation, uh, probably also just sensitive in general considering it's a publicly traded company, um, whether it was the allegations of abuse, whether it was that photo that got circulated, they decided to cut ties with Nash Carter. So the champions who just won the titles on Saturday are now you know, basically split up. Nash, uh, sorry, Wesley is looking for another partner or they're going to dissolve the team or they're going to vacate the titles. I have absolutely no idea what NXT is going to do, but this title match set for next week is off. Their championship reign is in question. Wesley's career is in question too. Not that he is not capable of working in WWE as a single. In fact, I think he'd be incredible. They could bring him up to the main roster, team him with, N with uh, Ricochet, and have a ridiculous tag team up there. There's other people in NXT that he could who he could team with, but there's certainly a rapport that he had with Nash Carter uh, from the Radicals days dating back to Impact Wrestling, and now he's on his own, and he's stuck. And I th he's probably pretty upset also that it, his friend got fired. So I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen here, but, you know, again, we're talking about a show that Almost everything that happened on the show seemed weird. This didn't seem that weird at the time. It sure as hell does now. Um, and I just don't know how NXT is going to deal with the entire thing. Anyway, let's keep going to the weirdness uh, of the rest of NXT. Cameron Grimes came out to celebrate his North American championship win. Half of the crowd chanted, you deserve it. The other half chanted, no, you don't. It's like these assholes in Orlando were trying to be a Raw after WrestleMania crowd. This guy has been the ultimate babyface and dedicated the title win to his dead father like are these fans just true pieces of shit anyway so grimes talked about busting his ass proving his dad right and being deserving of the title solo sokoa emerged as the first challenger he congratulated grimes for honoring his dad but he said championships run through his bloodline and he wanted a shot it's a good reference grimes said that if he wanted to be a real champion he needed to beat people like Solo, so they shook hands. Solo pulled him close to intimidate him, and it ended. This was a really good babyface on babyface confrontation. Both of them absolutely nailed their parts, and the Annoy family references were perfect also. So this was one of the few things on the show that was like perfect, understandable, you know, didn't have to wonder about what it meant or what was happening in the future. Let's get to one of those, though. We had a women's tag team championship match, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai against a, to a Toxic Attraction. It was a rematch after Toxic Attraction lost the titles at Stand and Deliver. The former champions complained about being surprised by Gonzalez's return and said they were ready for their rematch. The faces said they weren't scared of the challenge. 
Gonzalez got her head slammed against the ring post, then re-injured her knee in the tree of woe, and she sold it for the rest of the match. Kai hit a coup de gras, with Gonzalez hitting the twisting Vader bomb, but the fall got broken. The referee screwed up a fall after some toxic offense. Gigi Dolan countered a power slam into a cutter. Mandy Rose chased down Wendy Chu at ringside and eliminated her. Uh, Gonzalez caught Dolan for a chingona bomb, but JC Jane took out her knee, toxic attraction, then teed off on her with kicks for the 1-2-3 to regain the titles after 72 hours. The match was largely good, and the way it was laid out, it did make sense for a title change. But the booking did not make a shred of sense. Again, I could not comprehend why the titles changed Saturday if they were going to change back three days later. With Ziggler and Breaker, I guess it's understandable to do the change on the Raw after WrestleMania as opposed to NXT because at least you could say, hey, there's more eyes on the product. Um, you know, More people will see Breaker beat Ziggler on Raw than they would have on Stand and Deliver. So, okay. Now, if Gonzalez and Kai are getting called up, but it wasn't decided until after the fact, I guess that could be the reason for this. Still, that would be another example of WWE not having its ducks in a row. Why would you change the title Saturday if you're going to decide to call them up? You know, Monday and Tuesday, those decisions should have been made a month ago so that they could ap- appropriately book, stand, and deliver so that these people, who you're going to call up potentially, let's just make believe, um, lose on the show and put over the younger people. So... That's just so frustrating. The match was good, 3.5 stars and a B. Later backstage, Kai trashed a bunch of equipment and declared that Mandy is not safe. I would love to buy her as a real contender for that title, given she should have won it like a year ago, but it's tough to do so given how she's been booked. She won the tag team titles, lost them an hour later. Then she won them again and lost them 72 hours later. It's just so consistently convoluted and nonsensical, and she never gets a moment even though she's an absolutely incredible wrestler in the ring and on the mic. You look at some of the women on the main roster, she is just as good, if not better, than many of them. It is maddening. But if they put the big belt on her, then I'm going to relent, and I'll backtrack, and I'll be very, very excited that she took the championship. It does also speak to something that she is going to be getting this opportunity, whereas Raquel Gonzalez, after the match, there was nothing heard about her. So maybe it's only Raquel getting called up and Dakota Kai is staying. If that's the case, another, you know, if you look back a couple of weeks further, why the hell did you even bring Raquel Gonzalez back? Don't forget, she was written off as injured. When Kai was teaming with Wendy Chu, you could have just had them challenge and win the titles at Stand and Deliver, and you wouldn't even be in this situation. So again, it's like one side not knowing what the other side is doing, and it's WWE main roster, the the Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard side that's at fault here, it's actively ruining the booking for NXT, which it should all at least be working together at a a bare minimum. Uh, Tony D'Angelo got introduced by that Italian dude, I think his name's AJ Galante or something, who's been hanging around recently. Basically, Tony took the oath of the dawn. Galante was sloppy and either unprepared or nervous for the moment. The crowd chanted boring as Tony got a pinky ring and announced uh, himself as the dawn of NXT. The general idea of this was fine. That dude should never get a live mic again, and they just cannot continue to do segments like this. Uh, Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma congratulated D'Angelo later, saying he knows what it's like to run a family as El Patron. He offered advice to stay out of their way. It was a pretty damn good interaction in the parking lot. Nikita Lyons fought Last Legend. I had negative interest in this match going in. Lash hit a running back handspring moonsault for a near fall. Lions landed a German suplex and superplex for a near fall. Then she hit a roundhouse kick and the falling split for the win. I think we can all agree 
that it's rare that I am completely dead wrong about something. This match completely shocked me. I'm not saying I'm never wrong. I'm saying it's very rare that I am 100% wrong. And I was 100% wrong about this. There were no botches. There were some solid moves. Neither of them looked noticeably green, even though they are very green. Maybe it was just the right combination of people. I have no idea whatsoever what happened here, but it worked. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise. It exceeded every single expectation I had going in. This might actually also be the very first. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight! Match with two big meaty women bumping me tonight, and I think a lot of people loved seeing it. So, you know what? I had negative interest going in. I am down for a rematch. Let me see Nikita Lyons and Lash Legend again. I don't want to see them fight anyone else, but if they want to fight each other, I'm down for it. Kushida cut a taped promo saying he's not afraid of Von Wagner and that he crossed the line attacking Jiro and tearing up Jiro's jacket. I wish I could get excited about Kushida getting a meaningful match. This guy, I mean, the term buried is overused by people. Kushida is legitimately being buried. Like, there's no way to get around it. Wagner is absolutely going to crush him whenever they fight. It's just sad that they cannot find a way to make him relevant in the bigger picture of NXT. Or just call him up to the main roster and give him an opportunity. Dexter Loomis fought Duke Hudson. Loomis did his kip up into a leg drop. The guys locked arms around the ring post when the girls tried to separate them and then ran them into the ring post instead for a double countout. The crowd chanted that was stupid, and it was the first and only time the entire night where I actually agreed with a crowd chant. It was stupid. Truly idiotic booking. The feud gets worse and worse with each passing week to the point that it has taken four people I like and made me actively dislike all of them. This shit needs to end ASAP. And lastly for NXT, Tiffany Stratton cut her first promo. She tried to do a spoiled rich kid slash valley girl gimmick, but it came through with very little emotion or believability, very, very formulaic, as she called out Saray. So as I said with NXT, you know, we had, you know, a title change, a great championship defense, some really damn good segments, but all of it actually include the Imperium Creed Brothers match was also extremely good. Creed Brothers looked incredible. Uh, and a really surprise storyline with Rick Steiner as well. So you think about those elements without being specific, and you're like, damn, that must have been a really good episode of television. And in some ways it was, but in the context of Stand and Deliver, it didn't make any sense at all in the moment. We will see what happens Friday night on SmackDown, Monday night on Raw. Are people getting called up? Will some of this stuff make sense sooner than later? If it does, then it's at least understandable why Tuesday's show happened the way it did, but there is no excuse to have to hotshot book like that when call-ups and big decisions you know to that degree should be made ahead of, like a month before WrestleMania that way storylines can be worked out they cannot do this to fans who watch their product every week and invest in NXT and just say hey you know that uh, premium event that you on Saturday at one o'clock uh, took your entire afternoon to stay home and watch even though WrestleMania was at night yeah nothing that happened there mattered that they can't do that to their fans. It's just not good. Uh, so that's NXT this week. Let's move over to AEW. Uh, we're going to go Rampage and Dynamite. We're going to mix them up a little bit together based on storyline and what's most important. Uh, on Rampage, the Young Bucks fought top flight. It was exactly the match you would expect. Fast-paced, high-flying, super exciting. Darius Martin hit a great standing Spanish fly, but eventually got caught with the BTE trigger. Lots of fun and a good opener for any wrestling show. There just wasn't much storyline or substance to it. Uh, overall, I went 3.5 stars in a B. 
The Bucks later went over their accolades, saying that FTR may have had some success, but they haven't beaten them yet. They then accepted their challenge for Dynamite. What's notably random about this FTR-Bucks feud is the Bucks had been off TV for no discernible reason, despite previously being involved in the storyline with Undisputed Elite. Suddenly, they're no longer involved with them anymore, and they have a random match on Rampage, and then get called out by FTR for a match. It just was very random the way this whole thing was booked. In fact, it was based, the way I look at it, it was booked because Tony Khan decided, hey, we want a really killer match on the Dynamite after WrestleMania to show people what AEW is all about. That's To me, that is the reason why all this happened. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's another reason. That's how it came across to me. On Dynamite, there was the payoff, uh, in a AAA and Ring of Honor tag team championship match, both titles on the line, FTR against the Young Bucks. There were dueling chants at the bell. FTR did stereo sharpshooters, another Bret Hart reference. Dax Harwood had a great hot tag suplexing one buck into another before hitting a pile driver that definitely looked like a three count, but somehow was not. Dax hit a superplex as Nick uh, hit a avalanche or a Karana. The Bucks countered Big Rig and distracted the referee for a low blow, then hit Big Rig themselves for a 2.5 on Cash Wheeler. Then they hit a 450 and a moonsault for another 2.5. Cash ate a belt shot but Dax made the save. Then they ate stereo super kicks. Cash ate a BTE trigger, but his foot landed on the bottom rope a split second before the full three count from the referee. One of the best such spots that I've probably ever seen. Top three to five ever, maybe. FTR countered a Meltzer driver attempt into a slingshot powerbomb and a tombstone. Matt spit in Dax's face, so they hit the BTE trigger on him. Then they kissed his cheeks and hit the big rig for the 1-2-3 to retain the titles and even the rivalry at 1-1. FTR got a really slow start in AEW, but they are on such a hot streak right now. It's absolutely incredible. I've yet to see their Ring of Honor match against the Briscoes. I hope to watch it sooner than later. That supposedly was the match of the entire weekend and a contender for match of the year. But, you know, again, I haven't seen it. I can only talk about this. This was incredible. You guys know I'm not a Young Bucks fan at all. This is one of my favorite matches of theirs, largely because FTR was so damn good. This wasn't an indulgent spot fest. It was a real tag team wrestling match, which showed off the skill of the Jacksons in addition to the obvious skill of FTR. Definitely an A+. For me to go five stars, a match basically has to be flawless. This wasn't. So I'm going 4.75 stars. It's the best television match of the year to this point the best tag team match of the year to this point that I've seen. Again, I haven't seen the Briscoes match. And everyone says that match is better than this. Well, you know what? I can't wait to see it, and I hope it is better than this, because that would be awesome. Uh, but this was a great match, incredible main event, and awesome that it was free on television. Dynamite opened with Christian Cage against Adam Cole. Christian leapfrogged over the post unnecessarily to completely miss a splash on Cole outside. Then he got a sunset flip and tornado DDT for a near falls. Cole hit the last shot in a false finish, with the idea being he didn't drop the knee pad so it wasn't impactful. For a former champion and a top contender to consistently forget to simply move a piece of cloth off of his knee, it's just so silly when you think about it, because it's not the first time it's happened. Christian's Hurricanrana uh, was a near fall, and a spear was also a false finish after he countered Panama Sunrise and another last shot attempt. Cole used the ropes to avoid kill switch. Then, as the referee got distracted, he put a thumb in Christian's eye and hit last shot for the win. Did they let the win hold some of its juice or impact immediately after the bell? Of course not. Undisputed Elite immediately attacked, with Jurassic Express immediately making the save. 
I don't even understand why Undisputed Elite needed to attack a guy who just got beaten. Hangman Adam Page charged down as Cole said he wouldn't fight him until the title was on the line, so we got the expected rematch, but it's got a stipulation as a Texas death match on Rampage. That's quite a match to put on a struggling B-show to pop a rating. Christian later threw a water bottle in anger as Jungle Boy challenged Red Dragon, putting the tag team titles on the line next week. The crowd was loving this entire thing, and there was a lot to like. The match was fantastic. It was a bit formulaic, so I went 4.25 stars and an A. I've seen people directly comparing it to Edge and AJ Styles. Yes, this was a better match than that. Uh, and that's pretty disappointing to me, given the former was at WrestleMania, and Edge and AJ Styles we thought would have an absolute banger. But this was Christian's second AEW singles match since September 2021, and you know full well what Tony Khan was doing booking it in this spot. One other thing, I cannot stress how irritatingly repetitive the booking has been for Hangman Page and Jurassic Express coming out of Revolution. I just want all of these guys to move on and stop interacting with each other. I'm just completely done with it. On Dynamite, Samoa Joe fought Max Caster. Joe made his AEW debut after making his Tony Khan employee debut, I guess, maybe, at Ring of Honor. Uh, Caster's rap was his best one of the entire year, and it continued a streak of, I think, three in a row that were solid or better. Joe stood silent as Caster talked trash. He had a pretty crazy tope suicida given his size. Joe then won with the Muscle Buster, which was basically illegal in WWE, and qualified for the Owen tournament. After the match, Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt cut a promo on the big screen. Lethal said Joe, his teacher, didn't answer his calls for months when he needed help. Lethal said he would have a big present for Joe next week in New Orleans. The crowd was incredible for Joe's debut and this match. Actually, the crowd was incredible this entire night. I think they were in Boston. Very awesome. Uh, it was appropriately short, the match, and Caster was the perfect first opponent for Joe. It was a great way to introduce him, and it felt like a big deal the entire time. Separately, I'm really glad Joe landed on his feet. As I keep saying, and as keeps getting proven with each passing week, I just have no idea how AEW is planning on using all these wrestlers. The idea of, like, quote-unquote, rotating talent, it's a great idea. But not when people don't have solid storylines and are gone for extended periods of time, or the storylines they have are unimportant and nonsensical. There's only so many championships in the company. So I'm glad he's there. I'm glad Keith Lee and Swerver are there. I, I'm not expecting all of them to immediately be in championship you know, situations. I actually think what Swerve and Keith Lee are doing is relatively fine, but it just seems like it's the same thing every single week, which is, guess what, what we criticize WWE about all the time. So I would like to see you know, some more exciting storylines with some of this top-tier talent that AEW keeps bringing in. And I would also like to see, like, all of them on the show at once. You know, at least one week every now and then. That would be pretty nice. Uh, speaking of Keith Lee and Swerve, let's talk about that match on Rampage. Keith Lee against Powerhouse Hobbs. This was the main event. Both had strong promos before the bell. Do I even need to say it? This is exactly what I wanted to say. Lee body tackled Hobbs out of the ring early. Each guy hit a big lariat. Hobbs backdropped Lee without using his arms to counter a powerbomb. Then he caught Lee running with a power slam. Lee tossed Hobbs three quarters of the way across the ring. Ricky Starks and Taz ran down with a chair. Swerve made the save. Hobbs hit a huge spine buster on Lee, but the referee was distracted and didn't count. Lee then picked up Hobbs for the Big Bang catastrophe and the win. 
After the bell, Starks put Swerve through a table with Rochambeau, and Hobbs hit Lee in the back with a chair. The heels propped the table in the corner, and Hobbs speared Lee through it to end the show. This was outstanding. It was the best Rampage match in months, at least for my taste. A perfect big man bout that showcased strength and athleticism. I could have watched them battle for twice as long at a minimum. Uh, the interference brought it down a tad for me, but it was fantastic. 3.75 stars B+, plus, 5 full slabs of beef, total banger. Uh, first time in a long time, I felt like watching Rampage was worth my time. On Dynamite, Starks and Hobbs attacked Swerve after a promo backstage with Lee, who made the save. All four of them battled. Lee put Hobbs through a horribly fake wall that basically looked like a sheet hanging in an open doorway. That's how the thing ended. On Dynamite, the Hardys fought the Butcher and Blade in a tables match. The stipulation was that both members of the team had to go through a table with an offensive move to lose. It was then said to be an elimination match, which I thought was an extremely unique and more exciting match style than we've seen before. Jeff was immediately put through a table with a really nice double-team move, which was strange given you'd think they want Jeff to be the one to decide the match. Matt leg-dropped Butcher through a table and then dove off the ring apron through one himself, which didn't count. Even though the guys were described as eliminated, both Jeff and Butcher continued fighting. Matt had a twist of fate on Butcher and laid two tables next to each other so Jeff could hit the Swanton Bomb off a ladder through the tables for the win. It was a very impactful move. Like, the way he hit it, I thought Blade's ribs all broke. <laughs> I mean, I guess they didn't, and, and that's great, but I could not believe the way it sounded and looked. Uh, but the finish and booking did not make a shred of sense. Again, I liked the match concept, but it was silly that the eliminated people could not only continue to wrestle, but be involved in table spots that would lead to eliminations. Either they're eliminated or they're not. This was a total mess, despite being entertaining. Of course, Andrade El Idolo and the rest of AFO came out immediately after the bell, so Sting came out with a bat. Darby Allen was nowhere to be found. On Dynamite, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz charged down to the ring. They basically just screamed and threatened the Jericho Appreciation Society for about a minute, maybe 90 seconds. Eddie can rent his ass off about puppies and kitties if you ask him to, so of course this was strong and high intensity. On Rampage, House of Black fought Fuego del Sol, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson. Fuego got a 2.8 roll-up near fall on Malachi Black, then hit him with a Poison Rana. He went for a springboard move when Malachi caught him with Black Mass and easily got the 1-2-3 as Dark Order was neutralized outside. This is the type of match I enjoy because it gives an important person or group an establishment win in a match that's not a squash. It wasn't massively entertaining, but it did its job, and we should have more of this on multiple shows, not just AEW, but WWE as well. Penta Oscuro later reminded House of Black not to forget Death Triangle. I think it's easy to forget Death Triangle. Pac is never around and Ray Phoenix is injured. So what triangle is there? On Dynamite, Sean Spears fought Sean Dean. MJF joined on commentary. Fans chanted for Wardlow during the match, and he entered through the crowd, throwing a security guard through a barricade. Then four security guards stopped him. Dean rolled up Spears. So now Dean has beaten MJF and Spears because of Wardlow. And given MJF doesn't give a shit about anyone but himself, I'm not sure why he was angry or bothered that Spears lost. MJF later bitched about Wardlow and dared him to show up next week when there would be twice as much security. He also said he would beat Dean up next week. I just wish this was given a little bit more time to breathe and they didn't bring Wardlow back as quick as they did. On Rampage, Jamie Hayter fought Sky Blue. Hayter hit a superplex and hung onto it for a sheer drop brainbuster. Then she won with a ripcord lariat. Nice short feature match for Hayter. She qualified for the Owen Women's Tournament. It does seem strange that there's qualifiers for such a large tournament, but whatever, it's fine. 
On Dynamite, Hikaru Shida fought Julia Hart. Hart was aggressive before the bell, and at times during the match, Shida hit a running dropkick off a chair and a running knee in the corner. Hart did a bulldog while landing with a split for no reason. Shida then hit a falcon arrow for the 1-2-3 to qualify for the Owens, Owen Women's Tournament. Uh, seconds after the bell, Serena Deeb showed up with a chair, Shida held the kendo stick, and they stood off into a stalemate. On Dynamite, Jade Cargill taught us the definition of baddie, like we haven't heard it a million times, and it's not a term that's like, what, 10 years old at this point, maybe 15. Then they downplayed Marina Shafir as their opponent, which is exactly what you want to do when you're trying to set up your 30th win as being impressive against someone capable. At least she did not say that bitch show. Uh, I think the second straight week she hasn't said it, so good for her. On Rampage, Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year cut an absolutely awful, awful promo. Uh, while doing their normal rants, they said Sammy Guevara will never get an NXT, uh, I almost called it NXT, a TNT championship rematch. Suddenly, Sammy and Ty Conti had sledgehammers and destroyed the windows of a BMW SUV before spray painting Be Mad on it. This escalated to significant destruction of property, basically out of nowhere. I just thought it was terrible in every possible way. Zero point zero. We were forced to sit through another one of those rough best friend segments with Wheeler Yuta. Just let this guy go to Blackpool Combat Club already and stop with them being so pissy that he's trying to do something good for his career. On Rampage, Hook was going to do an interview backstage when Danhausen interrupted and finally, like, spoke and did his thing for the first time. Look, I'm in the minority here. I know it. This is not for me at all. It was a pretty unique gimmick that set this guy apart from a lot of similar wrestlers on the independent scene, but it is not made for a major wrestling promotion. And this is not Orange Cassidy. This is something even way further out of left field than Orange Cassidy. I hate to say it. You guys know it's true. And lastly here, AEW announced a bunch of upcoming title matches for Dynamite and Rampage, but it also has Battle of the Belts set for April 16th, and only has a women's title match as of right now set for the show. It just feels like they probably should have saved Hangman Cole for that special, which doesn't feel all that special. I'm sure they're going to put a TNT title match on it, maybe a TBS championship match on it. But for a Battle of the Belt show, this is already their second one. The first one wasn't that good. This one doesn't seem like it's going to have a big match on it either. Anyway, that's it for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast as we broke down NXT and AEW. It sure seems like AEW is going to have uh, a lot to talk about next week with all the title matches. And I definitely know there's going to be a lot to talk about for NXT because we need to see the fallout of all these storylines and exactly what this company is going to do going forward. Company, brand, same thing. You know exactly what I mean. I would be remiss if I ended this show, of course, without reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating and review, and let people know how much you love this show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. That is it for today. We will be back on Tuesday with another WWE episode, including coverage of the SmackDown after WrestleMania. It doesn't hit the same as Raw after WrestleMania. Nevertheless, it should be a really big show on Fox this coming Friday. At this point, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.